into the past and how to proceed in the future. And I ask, God, that you would continue to chisel our character and make us more like you, God. Sanctify us as we become more Christ-like. Lord, uh, we pray that you would speak boldly through Jason today and that you would uh, use him uh, to give us your message. God, it's in your holy name we pray, in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. That's the sound of all our clothes being refolded. Boy, she doesn't stop. How did you survive growing up with her? I spent a lot of time pretending to be asleep. I think she's coming. Clothes are a disaster. <laughs> you know, those wire hangers crease everything. <gasps> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, look, he's up. <laughs> Where's your iron? Oh, no, 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 Marie, you don't have to iron our clothes. <laughs> you know, you never know when relatives are going to come barging in. Ah, uh-huh, that's true. <laughs> Maybe there's a big occasion and the house is filled with relatives. Like what? What occasion? No, birth, graduation, Christmas, death. All my favorites. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, God forbid if someone should die. I mean, but if you were to die, Deborah, everyone would be here. And imagine them up in that messy closet trying to pick out something for you to wear. And then afterwards, they'll want to take clothes. Your drawers should be very neat so they can look through and see what they like. (laughs) So how will she die? Oh. (laughs) No. The thing is, you want to be remembered as a beautiful, clean person. Anything she cooks for me, you're tasting first. Don't worry. She'll be gone soon, all right? My father can't last alone much longer. Why don't you go in there and give her a little nudge? Is it really our business? Ray, she's in there chiseling my headstone. I just can't tell her to leave. She, you know what she'll do? She'll give me the look. The look? Yeah. Well, it's either that or walk across the street and see your dad. I'll try, Mom. <laughs> Isn't this funny? I can't find one without spots. <laughs> look, Ma, I gotta tell you something. Yes, dear. I'm going for a walk. Can you hear me? There we go. We laugh at that because that is hilarious, but some of us live it, and it's not so hilarious. I don't, actually, so this isn't, a, isn't, isn't one of my issues, but um, that, is, that is hilarious. And um, that look, some of you know that look, and some of you are like, no, that looked too bad, and that's why you're holding back tears right now um, as you, you watch that clip from Everybody Loves Raymond today. So um, it's funny we can laugh at someone else's dysfunction and find humor in um, 
and those kind of things, but when it's, when it's your own, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. We're going to talk today about making a healthy break with mom. And uh, thanks for just a kind of quick update on my mom. Several of y'all have asked. Thanks for giving me excused absence last week. My mom um, was, uh, came in town about um, two weeks ago. I guess it'll be this Saturday. And I got a call actually two weeks ago tomorrow from my dad. And it was a message and said, uh, we were wondering if we could come stay um, at your house on Friday night because we're having to come down um, for, to go to the emergency room in MD Anderson. Call me when you have time. What kind of message is that? So, um, you know, you've been dealing with your mom with cancer for a year. Thanks, Dad. So, um, anyway, so I called back, and they had, she had been having blurred vision and some headaches, so they took her to the emergency room in Dallas, and she did a CAT scan and found a mass in her brain, and um, so they were coming down here to, uh, to take care of that. So they ended up coming, and um, she was in the hospital for almost two weeks. But anyway, she had brain surgery last Thursday, and um, at about 6.30, was, I saw her at 6.15, they took her in, and she came out about noon, and um, she went home to Dallas on Tuesday. So it's amazing modern medicine and miracle of God that, um, that you can have your brain cut open, your skull cut open, and they can put everything back and sew it up and send you home. And she was supposed to have um, some pretty intense um, problems with double vision and then learning to walk again because it's on her cerebellum, which controls your mobility, and her gait and stuff, and she didn't have to have any of that. So she, uh, she, God was really, really gracious to us, and he would have been regardless, but it was really, really, really good good time. So thanks for your prayers and for uh, watching Robert Lewis. He's the guy that wrote it anyway, so he's the one that knows what he talked about, but glad you're here. Y'all awake? Okay. We love table eight. You are the man of the group. I'm telling you. So give him a hand. That's awesome. Keep keep going. Um, the last four weeks we've talked, I've been addressing what I call the legs of manhood, and um, it's because those legs that are given to us in our youthfulness by mom and dad. Okay, they're the things that we've looked at um, relationally with with dad for a couple weeks, several weeks ago over the last month, and uh, and then with mom the last last couple weeks. And with those two powerful sources, what 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 they do is they give us the strength um, to grow up and leave. Child, our child or adolescent life to adulthood and be, be godly and biblical and authentic man, men. Um, and so what, what happens if, if those uh, relationships aren't healthy and godly um, as God wants them to be in the way that he made it to be, we leave with weak legs. And um, in fact, some of you might look down and go, I need a prosthesis. I, my legs are, I don't have legs or I'm missing a leg. And, um, and so that, that's some of those, those pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to, uh, to, to put together and to find maybe that have fallen off the table even and find how do you, what piece is missing and what can we put in there to, uh, to bring strength back to and become healthy men as we want to be authentic men as we're on this quest. And so next week, starting next week, we've been looking um, really inwardly and um, looking, looking to the past and for, for really from next week on we'll be looking at the present. So this is kind of the last of this section uh, the eighth week I think we're on, of kind of looking back, looking at these relationships before you start moving on. So I encourage you again to look at page 92 regularly, and um, not while I'm talking though, but you can, um, on your manhood plan. Any of y'all started on it? Anybody working on it? I'm going to put you on the spot. Anybody? Come on, guys. Authentic men are not passive, right? So that's the first thing. So take time, take time to do that, okay? Um, 
it's, uh, it's really important. This is a picture of me and my mom, um, but this was when I was in second grade. And we don't relate to each other today as we did in second grade, thank goodness. In fact, even this weekend, uh, or this last two weeks, as I was going to spend time with my mom, I went to see her almost every day and try to support her, and my dad was here. Um, it, it's, it's incredible to, um, to thank God and to look at my relationship with her that it's not one where there's, uh, there's overly dependence on her or there's control by her um, or I feel manipulated by her. Um, and when I was in second grade, I shared um, that my, my dad was an alcoholic last time I taught. And so our relationship probably wasn't as healthy as it should have been, even at that age. And um, she, she's bald now. She doesn't look like that. But um, she, she doesn't have quite that much hair. But that's, that's me and my mom in second grade. I drew a picture in second grade. I, had, I was part of a, my school in second grade entered this draw your mom contest in Garland, Texas by the Garland Daily News. And I entered it. I drew this picture of my mom and Eric's going to put it up there. And this was my interpretation of my mom in second grade. She was, um, she's been over in a garden. That's her rear end. And um, I got second place in the entire city for the draw your mom contest. And uh, my mom, I did, really didn't see my mom like that, but she was, she was a hard worker. And then uh, the next picture is, in, was the one in the paper and it cut us out and side by side. But you can tell the other moms are really happy at their interpretation of their moms. They're dressed like them. They, um, they look just like them, literally. And then there's little mischievous Swigert with his mom, and she looks really miffed, doesn't she? So she's really proud of me. Don't you like the helmet on the lady on the left? It's a great look on her. So uh, it's probably coming back, I'm sure. So anyway, hopefully things have changed in my relationship uh, with, with her. But we're going to talk today about how to... Um, address how to act responsibly with, with your mom, okay? Last week, um, Robert Lewis on the DVD, he, he looked at how to act responsibly, um, or, he, or he, he looked at and hopefully led you to some discussion about what your relationship with your mom looks like and, and how that interaction exists, and is it healthy, and is it godly, or, uh, or is it not? Are you overly bonded um, with your mom? Does she overplay the part that she's supposed to in your life? And so we introduced that bond called the overly bonded with mother wound. And let me, let me define it again. It's an unhealthy emotional relationship with your mother, and it causes a son to either be threatened by the influence of women later on, or it causes him to over-identify with women and remain dependent on their influence and submissive to it. Okay? Let me read that again. And it's up there. You can look at, look at me. It causes a son to either, one of the two things, be threatened by the influence of women later on, so you're threatened by women, or it causes you to be over, over-identify with women and remain dependent on their influence and submissive to it. Uh, with a mother wound, there's two extremes um, that, that come about, uh, forms of masculinity that develop. And, and it's rather than this balanced masculinity that we're, that, we're, that we're really gearing toward and the goal is to, to become and live in, um, there's, there's, there's two things. First, sons can become overly passive in regards to women. Some of you are passive in doing your manhood plan. You just revealed that. But hopefully that's not a sign that um, you've become overly passive in your relationships or in regards to women. They continue to, to yield to your mom's influence um, long into adulthood and long after they should have cut that relationship, uh, the, the strings of that relationship. Um, if you'll remember when I did the unpacking and there was an apron I pulled out, I think Robert Lewis on the DVD, he pulls out and puts the apron on and, and we he talked about how kind of ridiculous that looks, except there's some of us walking around with aprons on because that's how tightly um, relate, relationship bound we are um, to, to our moms. Um, a son sacrifices his masculinity when he over-identifies with his mother. Okay, a son over uh, I mean, he, he sacrifices his masculinity, he over-identifies with his mother. He becomes, as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, feminized. 
Okay? He learns to react in ways that are more appropriate to women than to men. Okay? It's different. Um, uh, we'll, we'll continue on there. Let me read what Robert Lewis says. He says he places high emphasis on his feelings because of his over-identification with the key women, woman in his life. He learns to wait rather than initiate because he learned that from mom. He shuns risk-taking. As he becomes an adult, he looks for a woman to take care of him in the same way he looked for mom to care for him. He has that invisible, emotional, unbibl- uh, umbil- umbib- not umbilical, umbilical, umbilical cord. He's moving around trying to connect that cord to another woman if he can't connect it to mom. Three words identify this man who become overly passive in regards to women because of his relationship. And the first one is the soft male. Okay? Um, and, and that quote, re- hear it with balance, though, because God wants us to be discerning in our risk-taking. Okay? He wants us to lead with grace and with kindness and humility. Uh, but that's not the same thing as being passive. And he wants us to relate from a deeper part of our life in, a, in, the, in where we feel, okay? If you're going to relate to your wife or relate to women, you've got to relate on a feeling level, not just an academic or a thinking level. So, again, temper all of those things um, in, in, in what God has for us and uh, being, being Christ-like as well. So the soft male... Um, there, what, what the soft male can do, it, it points you toward a couple of different things um, because um, it, it, it brings you to this, this passive stage to where you shrink back from women. Um, pornography tends to be um, a characteristic of the soft male. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like the, the two would go together necessarily. But, uh, but what, what is, happens is there's this, this man that's suppressed inside, and so pornography is a way that he can be with a woman, not really, but in, a, but in his mind, and he can lead because there's no resistance. There's, there's no risk involved. Um, he doesn't hand, if he doesn't handle it in a healthy way, then he fantasizes about an unhealthy way and how he would handle it. So as a result, for a lot of men, they become um, the soft male or the feminized man. Okay? It's not effeminate. It's the feminized man. There's a difference. A lot of men get attached in a very unhealthy way to pornography. It's the one place they can go in a fantasy relationship where they feel like they can act like a man when relating to women without being suppressed by that woman, um, and, or over-identifying with her in that way, a way that he has to submit to that woman. He can be the leader in that fantasy relationship. Okay, guys? So a lot of people go, it, uh, you know, why, why, are, why am I, why are this person, a buddy, or the world, um, why are they drawn to, to uh, pornography and you never relate it back to your mom? But sometimes that's, that's exactly why. If pornography is a problem with you and it's not, uh, it's a problem not just in the first case of extreme masculinity, it's also in the next one. Because a lot of times it goes back to these inadequacies that we have because of their relationship with, with mom. The soft male, the feminized man. Okay? Another phrase is the passive husband. The passive husband. And I see this a lot. I see it in church. I worked with couples here in particular newlyweds for 10 years. And watching, um, it was interesting, watching different couples and the dynamics of how uh, women and men that were married interacted. And there's a lot of husbands that are passive. Um, and they, are, they have this connected with this mother-wife kind of thing. Um, in other words, he's married to someone who continues to take care of him, continues to keep him in adolescence um, the way his mom did. In the beginning, um, this strong woman sees this sensitive male, and that's why she's attracted to him. Okay? So women want, to want sensitive men, and so she's attracted to him. But later on, she finds out that he's passive, and he doesn't have any backbone, and he just needs and wants another mother to take care of him. He doesn't lead. He doesn't make decisions. He doesn't lead financially. He doesn't lead physically in intimacy. He doesn't lead the family with kids later on, and it happens over and over again. 
and it's a lot of times it's tied back to that overly bonded relationship with their mom. I have a, a great f- couple that, that I'm friends with, been friends with for a long time, and this is so much of the picture of their lives. She saw him as a very strong leader, and after they got married and a few months later, she realized he wasn't a strong leader. He was quiet, but he wasn't strong. In fact, he was very, very passive. And for the first two years, it was like this, because she, she was strong, not overly strong, but she was strong, and she needed a strong leader, and she wanted that, and he would not step up to the plate. And so much of it goes back to that relationship. So um, important thing, the soft male, the feminized man, and, and the passive husband are all part of that first, uh, first uh, kind of camp you can be in. Secondly, the opposite side, sons um, can be overly dominant in regard to women. Okay? And we see this just as much. It would be nice if we found some balanced, authentic men out there. But uh, dominant in regard to women. If they've been threatened by their mom, what happens in the case? This case is a son growing up with mom. Um, contends with her and resists her influence through life. Eric you taught this session last year, and this year he conveniently scheduled a baby to be born. Um, so uh, so I'm, I'm here this week. But he has a great story. If you want to listen to his podcast, you can download it off the website um, from last year. But he talks about his family dynamic of him and his brother. And this was his brother. And his brother um, contended with his mom all the time. And he's lived his life being dominant over women, controlling women. He's not married. He's, uh, he's close to my age, I think. And, um, and, and you can, again, kind of download that if you want to hear the rest of the story because it's a great example of that. Later on, after mom, he sees women as a constant threat to his masculinity. Okay? And so when he sees them, a strong woman, he sees them seeking control over him, and he decides, they're not going to control me. Okay? I'm not going to have that. That's what I had all my life. So he becomes too strong in his relationships with women, too demanding. And that's how he interacts. He develops it's kind of a my way or a highway or, or the highway um, mentality. And he, he's threatened by any woman's assertiveness, whether it's in the workplace, it's a dating relationship, it's friends or whatever. All the women around him become people or who he can dominate. And when he gets into a marriage and a woman tries to express herself and her feelings, her rights and her equalities, he sees that as an attack on his masculinity because he's uncomfortable and so he, he, can't, he can't deal with that. He feels like he has to dominate her and uh, rule over and suppress her, or else, if he doesn't, she's going to take control. Possibly you know, you know some of those. In, in, if he's a Christian man, he loves the word submit. He loves that, that part of the, the marriage vow. Um, you know, I, I, I promise to submit. And he loves that word because it speaks right to the issue of his wound, because he needs someone to submit to him, because he's not going to submit to them. Okay? Uh, three words that describe... A man who becomes overly dominant early in his life, a relationship with his mom, is a conquering masculinity. Okay, conquering masculinity. We see it all the time in our world. We see it in the extreme form of, uh, that leads to domestic violence, um, to, uh, to, to rape even. And, uh, and, and rape so many times is the guy um, who's threatened by women and he sees that's the way of getting even. Um, but it has its roots so many times in regards of that relationship with the mom and the regard to, the, to, to mom. Um, then there's what's called a fierce independence, the next three-letter phrase, uh, because that person fears being vulnerable in the presence of women, okay? And that might be, might be a lot of us in here. Um, one thing that man, men's life is so great at is it puts you at a table with guys and uh, you get to get shared. It makes some people really uncomfortable and some people do it well, but I encourage you to do that um, in your groups, even today as, as you work through some of the questions. Um, but this guy has a real difficult time opening his heart to women, and the reason he does, 
because he feels like if he did, she'd take advantage of him and she'd take control. Okay, it all goes back to control every time. Um, so if he's got this fierce independence, it's also expressed in the demanding husband who makes demands on his wife and rules his household with an iron fist. And you, you might see that interaction um, as a single and you see, uh, see your friends dating or maybe possibly you and how that interaction is when, you, when you're around married couples early. But I think even times it comes out so much more when there's children in the house because there's more people to control, okay? Um, there, there's, there's more people to control, not just, not just the wife. And so it becomes much more of, of, of the atmosphere. So as you look at those two extreme behaviors that we just looked at, you know, every one of us in this room are somewhere in that spectrum, okay? Some are, are the far extreme one way, the soft male. Some of our far ex, uh, extreme on being fierce um, and independent um, and that kind of thing. And so where, where are you in that spectrum, okay? That's, that's the, one of the questions to kind of think through um, as, as, we look, as we look at it. Look at, look at who you've dated, even if you're married. Look back who you've dated. And if you're dating, if you're single and you're dating somebody now, or even who you're attracted to, and then who you eventually married if you're married. Where do you fall on that spectrum? What was your relationship like? Was it one where you, you felt like you had to dominate that and you were threatened by any assertiveness? Or were you passive so much that, that really... Um, who the, the type of woman you dated all your life and maybe you eventually married, they're, they're the leader. And maybe that's part of the struggle in your household or your relationship now. Um, but we all fit on that somewhere. So it's a great question to ask yourself. It's kind of that reflective thing of, okay, God, Holy Spirit, reveal to me where am I on this and then give me the strength and the wisdom and the guidance and the power to move toward the middle where, where I need to be. Okay. Now I know this wound is, is difficult to, to talk about and I'm not here to beat up on moms at all. Um, so, so just like we didn't want to beat up on dads, we're not here to beat, beat up on dad, on moms. Um, but many times, because the wound, even as you watch Everybody Loves Raymond, I'm not sure how this played out with this necessarily, but it's not a wound that is done um, with intent. Okay? It's not intentional. It's, it's not one from <coughs> neglect. It's one from over-nurturing usually. It's, it's a heart not to manipulate you necessarily, but to show you how much they love you. But in the end... Um, it becomes it becomes um, a negative. It gets too involved and it gives it gives too much. Um, and as payment for that, the rest of your life, um, the the payment demands too much. It asks too much in return. And so that that's why we want to look at it. Um, now I know that sounds good, but I want you to know every mom has difficulty with this, and um, even the best of moms do that. And we're going to look at three examples actually in the Bible that are really really good examples. Maybe you haven't thought of. Um, but even Jesus dealt with this with his mom. So I want to give you actually four. Four snapshots into Jesus' relationship with his mother. The first one, um, if you look on the screen, it's in Luke 2. And uh, Jesus is just 12 years old. And my son right now will be 13, but he's 12. And so as I was preparing, I was thinking, this is Chambers' age, my, 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 my oldest son. So he's 12. So this is the experience that Mary had and Joseph had with Jesus when he was 12 years old. And um, here's, here's the moment to look in his life. As they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus, he's a boy and he's a changing boy. So I look at Chambers, he's 12. I hope he doesn't listen to this because he'd be really ticked at me. But he's getting hairy, he's reached puberty, so he's, he used to be short and round. He said, uh, he, he brought out this picture from basketball last year or football to this year, just two days ago. And he goes, look, Dad, my face now is like, oh, oh. 
And he said, and last year my face was like, wah, and my chin was like, duh, 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 duh. I mean, he was, he was hilarious. So his body's changing. His voice is changing. It, it's lower, and he's, he's just, he's a, he's a cool kid. And so um, that's, that's the time where Jesus was. He's a changing boy. He's 12 years old. He's probably going through purity at this particular time. We're kind of starting. So it says, The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents weren't aware of it, but supposed him to be in a caravan. They went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And they did not find him, and they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Okay, a day's caravan. Okay, so they had walked for a day, didn't realize the Son of God, the, sal- the Savior of the world, was not with them. I don't know how you do that. Uh, but anyway, it happens. Um, and then they decided to go back and look for him. And it came about that three days, so now there's three days they've looked for him. That's a long time when you're looking for your kid. You're going to be upset. You're probably going to be pretty emotional, and you're probably going to be pretty ticked. Uh, But they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They already knew with great sense who Jesus was, if you remember. They remember uh, Mary had Gabriel come talk to her. I mean, this guy was extraordinary. He was, he was the, the Savior, the Messiah. And when they saw Jesus, they were astonished. And then notice this. It says, And his mother said to him, It's not his dad. It's not Joseph. It's his mother. And she steps forward. And now, you know, this, it's interesting in Scripture. Nowhere do you hear Joseph actually say anything. Okay? And so I, I'm sure that he could talk. And I don't know that he was, he was passive necessarily. That's not what we're saying. We're not really looking at him, but it's just kind of an interesting thing. But she steps forward, okay? And uh, so obviously she's a strong, a strong woman, and that's a good thing. But she initiates the moment, and she says, And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated me this way, or treated us this way? Now notice if the dad would, was saying that, he probably wouldn't say, How come you've treated us this way? He'd say, um, you know, what in the fat were you thinking? Where were you? You know, where, come on, you, why do you, you know, why did you hang out and why do we have to confine you and that kind of thing? It, but it wouldn't have been a personal affront to him. He would speak on a task level, but not mom, okay, typically. She doesn't speak that way. She has a whole different language. She says, son, why have you treated us this way? So let me paraphrase. Why have you hurt your mama? Why would you do that to me? Okay, um, we might say, you know, why'd you do that to us? But it would be, I think as a man, it would be an embarrassment kind of thing more than, more than the mom. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because Mary, of all people, she should have known what the situation was. Again, she's the one who um, gave birth to Jesus. She's the one who the angel appeared to, and, um, and she knew that she was, had, had the Son of God. She had Emmanuel, God with us, inside her, and she, says she treasured all these things in her heart, um, knew that he was going to be the Son of God, you, and, but she's still a mother. Okay, She wasn't um, divine. She wasn't all God and all man. She was all woman, um, and so she's, she's still a mom. Um, so that all gets mixed up together. So Jesus in this moment gives her some relational clarity. Okay, That's what he does, and he does it kind of in a way that looks kind of abrupt. Remember, he's 12, and he's sharp. So he says, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? And, of course, it says they did not understand the statement which he made to them. But they should have, and Mary probably should have in particular. But you know what you hear in this moment is not that. If you listen closely to what's being said behind the lines or between lines, you hear this cut, cut, snip, snip. There's an umbilical cord, an invisible one, and Jesus is snipping it. Okay? She's saying, why did you do this to us? Why did you hurt me? Um, I'm your mother. And he, he starts snipping that invisible kind of emotional umbilical cord. Now look at the second passage. And this occurred when Jesus was 30. Who's 30 in here? Anybody? 
not over 30, like 30 exactly. Anybody? There we go. What's your name? Charlie. Charlie's a strapping, cool 30-year-old. Glad you're here, buddy. Um, so he's 30. So he's Charlie's age, okay? So he's not a boy. Uh, 18 years earlier, they've had this experience, and he's a man. And uh, there's a social moment in which Jesus actually, in the first, it's the first public part of his ministry. It's the first miracle that he does, okay? And it's at a wedding. It's one of my favorite things. In John 2, it says, And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited, and his disciples, and, and his disciples to the wedding, and when they gave the wine out. So just imagine, it's a big party, it's a big celebration, it's a social, social, social situation. There's people there, they're having fun together, and then they break the wine out to celebrate, um, celebrate the wedding, okay? And the mother says to Jesus, they have no wine, okay? She said, you hear the message in that? Let me, let me tell you the way Jesus probably heard it. Boy, they have no wine and you're God, okay? So here she is again. She's going to fix the situation through him because now she, she realizes that, and she's reminded that he's God. And I think that's exactly how it felt. And uh, may, maybe, you can, maybe you can sense that as well. There are orders being given. She doesn't go to, to, to Jesus to make him aware. It's a thing of show your stuff. You know, they're, they're out of wine. Come on, let's, let's perform um, and, and make sure that, that we, have, we have wine. Um, they're being given indirectly, though the relationship, there, I think there's, there's some sense that um, you owe me. You know, I'm, this is a wedding and I need, I need this from you. Um, and uh, what does Jesus say? Well, Mom, come on. No, he doesn't say that. He speaks as a man. This is strong, too. And he doesn't, who doesn't want to be bonded to his mother in this way. He doesn't say, Mom. And listen, it's strong. He says, Woman, what do I have to do with you? Don't push me, basically. That's what's happening here. Again, another one of those cut, cut of the umbilical cord. Think about as a 30-year-old Charlie when your mom would say something to you or she was trying to get you to do something. Um, that maybe you weren't ready to do or wasn't what you wanted to do, and, and you turned to her and you said, woman. I mean, that probably wouldn't be very good. I mean, I, I, that's, that's not great. My mom still, I can go to church with them in Dallas. I haven't been a long time that I grew up in, and she will tell me um, to quit talking in church. And when I want to say, woman, I'm a pastor. I know when to talk in church, you know, when, it's, when I can do that, when it's, when it's inappropriate and when it's boring and how to be sneaky and all those kind of things on it. But I don't call her woman. I just let her talk and do her thing. Um, but notice he's a 30-year-old man. Don't tell me what to do. Uh, maybe another way of paraphrasing is take your umbilical cord away from me. I don't want it. Um, so there, there, there's a second. The third one is in Matthew 12, and it's two years later. So Jesus is 32. Um, he's, he, again, he's in his public ministry, and he's well into it. And there's some clear, there's a spiritual clarity that needed to be given to mom, and it says this in Matthew 12. While he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers were standing outside seeking to, seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Now let's just ask the question. There's this person that says, Someone said to him. Okay, Who, who do you think sent the someone in? Mom. Yeah, mom and brothers, some, probably. Because it's not the thing of, Oh, there's someone just out there talking to you. They found the mom and they sent her in. Uh, or, or they sent her in. So um, it was probably commissioned by Mary. Um, so just listen to the request. Your mother, behold, your mother is out here with your brothers wanting to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. But for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, cut, cut, snip, snip. And it sounds really harsh. In fact, it's like, imagine if your mom came to the door and said, 
hey, um, Jonathan, your mom's out there. And, um, and uh, you say, who's my mother? You know, if she heard that, that would be like, boom. I mean, send, send our moms into oblivion, some of them, because they, they have, they're, they're our mothers. So um, go tell mom that. Now you think, well, that must have been a tough relationship, but it, but it didn't have to be uh, a tough relationship. And I think they had a sweet relationship, actually. I think they had a great relationship. But I think it was those examples where Jesus set the boundaries of what the relationship was going to be. Um, and, and then I look, as I was studying, I was thinking, okay, what would it be to be the mother or the father of, again, of the Messiah? I mean, I would think she would be almost have to be overly bonded to take care of even though he's God, he can take care of himself. It's a thing of, I've got this precious thing that I'm responsible for. So it's kind of a, kind of a hard, hard thing to do. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't married. Um, so anyway, all this comes to an interesting ending at the cross, the fourth place we want to look, in John 19. Uh, and I want, to, want you to see this because this, this is a healthy ending, and it's a very healthy ending, okay? Um, you need to understand before I read the passage is that Jesus kept his mother from rebonding with him, okay? So the, so the next year, um, he, he did that. And here's, listen very closely. In keeping her at a certain healthy distance, she did not lose Jesus as her son, okay? What she did is she gained back Jesus as a man who was, who was healthy and had a self-identity in and of who he was in, a, in, a, in, a, in his own right. And so this is what happened. Listen, there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife... Um, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus hanging on the cross, when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, as he was on the cross, Mother, behold your son. You knew this from the very beginning. Um, here I am, but here's what I think he's probably trying to tell her, and here's the message. Here's your son, a man, and you would have never put me here. You would have kept me from this because you love me so much. And behold, your son... And then in the midst of the pain and the agony of that moment, look what he does. He says to he turns to the John, the disciple whom he loved, and he says, John, 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 behold your mother. And so John got the message um, from this, I think, because from that hour the disciple took her into his own household and he took care of her. And so what that means in the end was Mary wasn't caring for the Jesus boy. Um, Jesus, the man, was caring for his mother, and that's the way it should be but not out of an overly bonded relationship, not out of um, total obligation or manipulation or guilt, but because there was a, there was a healthy relationship there and he could take care of, of his mother. So what I want to do is suggest, uh, make seven suggestions to you for healing, healing the wound. And, you know, maybe, some, maybe you're going, you know what, this doesn't apply to me at all. That's great. Write it, fill in the blanks, okay, because you can share it with somebody. And some of you are going, this doesn't apply to me at all, and you're in total denial, and you'll get totally revealed that this is exactly where you are. And then some of you are sweating because you're going, this is exactly where I am, and I don't want to face this, okay? So we're all over that spectrum today. But, um, but here's seven suggestions that I think would, would be, uh, be helpful for you, okay? The first one is always start with the understanding that breaking mom's over-involvement, if that's the case with you, um, and it's not everybody, is good for you and it's for her. Okay? Always start with understanding that breaking um, the mom's over-involvement with is good for you and her, not just for one of you. It's not going to feel like it in the beginning. It's going to feel awful. But it is because authentic manhood is, is impossible without it. Okay? As, you, uh, as long as you get tied to mom in some unhealthy way, whether it's large or small, it's going to stunt your growth in masculinity. And the same thing is true with, with dad. Um, 
and maybe that was that was that was more your issue. But it's a it's a it is a painful thing, um, but it's a thing um, that that is really really good for you. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is recognize that your ultimate goal is to become a man whose vision is fixed on what God thinks and not what mom thinks. Your ultimate goal is to become a man whose vision is fixed on what God thinks, not on what mom thinks. Now that's assuming you have a spiritual vision for your life. And if you don't have Christ in your life, and given the trust of your life to him, then you don't have a spiritual vision for your life. That's, that's the first step um, of knowing Christ, understanding who he wants to be in your life, um, the, the sin in your life, the separation that brings, and then the wholeness that Christ brings back to, into your life. So you've got to have a spiritual vision for your life. If you don't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't apply. And so if you do have a spiritual vision, it's, t- it's time to finally turn and decide, what does God want for my life? Not what does my mom want for my life? What does my dad want for my life? Not even me, but what does God want for it? Here's the way Jesus put it in Matthew 10:37. He who loves father or mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. Okay, It's that leaving and cleaving deal um, that we talk about even in marriage. So real manhood begins where a man begins to ask the question, God, what kind of man do you want me to be? What kind of man do you want me to be? This little black book I have, it's my journal, and I've filled out several of these little fillers, and I'm going to read you something as we close in a few minutes out of here. But this is is that walk for me um, over the past couple of years in particular, and it's fun to look back. I looked back even when I came in today on a, a year ago today where I was and what God was doing. And um, and to look, and there's still some things, some of the same things that he was dealing with me, questions um, are still there even today, a year later, exact day, a year later. Um, but some of them he's, he's led me through, and he's been faithful to, to because I haven't been passive in them, and I've sought him in those. God, what do you want in these things in my life? And so I encourage you to look at that, ask that question. Um, it becomes an act of the will and the faith, and your faith, instead of just being passive and just becoming what everybody else wants you to be. Okay, so you're going to follow that vision, or you're going to keep yourself tied to the past, and that's going to be a real issue at that point. Third, stop complaining or struggling with mom. Stop complaining or struggling with mom. If you have this wound, get the support, encouragement, and help you need from other men, or if necessary, a counselor, if the wound is at a serious level. And here's the key. Develop a plan for a healthy independence from mom. And if you don't have a plan, it's not going to happen. Okay, it's not just going to happen overnight. Underline the word healthy and invite feedback from men around you uh, to avoid serious errors in making the break. Okay, Proverbs 27, 17 says, says, Iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another. If you're struggling in this area, you got men around your table, everybody but table eight, um, you can join another table, buddy. Uh, Charlie, he's a great 30-year-old man right there. Um, but, but it might be the men around you. It might not be. Um, but find some men around you that can help you through that, and they can be ironed to, to help, you, help you walk through that, okay? Because you, you can and you need to make a healthy break. You can wield an axe, but that's not how you love your mom, and that's not how you honor your mom, okay? Last year, as men, we went through men's life, Eric and I both dealt with several men that this, was, this became the thing of men's life for them. And they, they made some major, major strides. In fact, there's a, there's a man that walked through, and he decided that he was going to really try to relate to his mom in a healthy way. And um, he, uh, he did some of the next steps we're going to talk about, but it was really, really difficult. But he had men around him. He had older men, older than me, older than Eric, but he had Eric and I, 
in his life um, as well as people around him. And every step of the way, he's involved us. And we've encouraged him and said, no, that's too harsh, or no, that's a little bit too, too flim-flam, a little passive. It's not clear what you're trying to do here. Um, but it's all out of love and honor and respect to your mom. And so have men around you. You can't do that by yourself, okay? Um, so in, in, to do that, there's three things you need to know about the plan. First, the plan should address specific issues with specific applications that are trouble to, troublesome to you. So here's the issue, and here's the application, and it's very specific. It's not, Mom, you always control me. Mom, you, you manipulate me. Mom, um, I, I feel smothered. Okay? It's not those things. It's, it's very specific. It may be your mom's interference in your marriage. It may be the excessive time demand she's still making on you as an adult. It may be her excessive need for attention, um, her emotional manipulations, um, inappropriate remarks or criticisms to you or your family members, her unwillingness to release you, or an unwillingness to acknowledge who you are. She's living in some kind of time warp. A guy at my table last year, um, I had, I, I think I shared this, but two guys. One of them, his mom was. They were, they were uh, um, talking about buying a house, and his mom was certain that that would be only certain miles away from them. I mean, she made it very clear that was the expectation. Another guy, um, they he had been married for several years, and he had this was his biggest thing, and he really really struggled. And we we tried to come around him in a group as the group, but. Um, from day one, his parents did not support or encourage or, or affirm his wife at all. And, um, and she was pregnant at the time, and um, she was going to have a baby, and her mom, his mom had this attitude of, this is what you're going to name the child, and it's after me. And um, so, I mean, we, we talked for a long time about, okay, what do you do? How do you honor them um, in your culture? What does that look like? Um, and, but making a healthy break, Okay. In her perspective, you're still a little boy, and you don't want to be there anymore. And so you have to address the specific issues. Secondly, the plan should establish what, uh, what we call time-tested boundaries to how your mom and you will, react, will interact in the future. And it's not just saying what the issue is, but it's saying that um, you're going to draw some real strong boundaries, um, and this is how it's going to be, and you're going to enforce them. This, and this sounds real domineering, but it's, it's not. It's with the, it's with the right motive. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, setting, it's setting that boundary. The challenge, though, is to establish boundaries that allow you to continue to honor her. Again, the fifth commandment of honoring your father and mother. So whatever it is, it has to be healthy for you but honoring to her. Okay? So you need to ask other men, what does that boundary look like? I'm proposing, is it too tight? Is it too loose? Is it mean-spirited? Is it appropriate? And those kind of things. Um, so it's got to be honoring in that, that time-tested boundary. Thirdly, the plan should include clear consequences attached to the boundary, okay? So once you've got the plan, it should have clear consequences if she violates those boundaries. You might say, you know what, if you talk to my wife like that, then we're going to have to leave, okay? Raymond didn't have boundaries with his mother, okay? In every episode, he needed, he needed to come to men's life. They need to have a follow-up of, you know, Raymond gets saved and goes to men's life, um, but, but he, uh, you know, the whole thing with the spots right there with the, with the glasses, I mean, that was all insinuated. Everything about what he said was, was insinuated negative attitude toward his wife. And he should have stood up and said, we're not going to do that. If you're doing that, you're going to leave our house or we're going to leave your house. Okay? If, you, um, if, if you're going to say something derogatory, um, if, it, if it's something with your children and your mother and the interaction, if you're going to say, um, if, it, if, it's a, if, it's a, if it's a language habit, whatever it is, you make it clear that this is unacceptable 
and if it happens, then we will be removed from the situation, okay? And it's hard, okay? So if we come to your house for Christmas and this happens, we will leave the house. But you're not, you're not severing the relationship, but you're severing that cord of, uh, of, of over, um, over dependency on each other. Um, there's going to be consequences. Now, some of you might need say, I need help with that. That's really difficult. Like Raymond, you know, he said, okay, you're going to go talk to your mom or your dad? And he goes, mm, I'll talk to mom. And, you see, and then he's talking about the face. And then we saw the face, you know, and then he melted and said, I'm going to go take a walk. So we, we need support for that. And um, it, it's extremely to have um, both men around you, um, but also there's a book called Boundaries, um, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, and this is a great book. Actually, we're going to offer this as a as a milestone class starting in January or February, so you can be looking for that. But it's a it's a it's a great book, and they have it for they have several different kind of editions: boundaries for teenagers, boundaries for marriage, all that kind of stuff. But this is kind of the generic one, and it is really 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 good, and it it can help you walk through steps to to do this exact thing. This guy was telling you about he he wrote his mom a letter. And he set a boundary with her, and um, and she uh, she didn't respond well. Um, in fact, she showed up in town. She lived in another state, um, not just a close state, but a real far away state. And she called and said, I'm here, and I have an appointment at the church's counseling center, and I wanted to see if you wanted to come. So he didn't know she was going to come, manipulated the whole thing. So he called me and said, would you go with me and sit in on this appointment with me? And I said, Sure. So I did, and they hadn't seen each other, they hadn't talked in I don't know how many months until they walked in the, the, the waiting room of the counseling center, and it was like cutting ice. I mean, it was like cold as you can get. And I was like, hi, I'm Jason. No, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that. I was like, hello. So, but I sat there and listened to this. He, he gave her the letter of basically this is what my relationship, if you want it, will look like from now on. And, uh, and then it was an hour long, and she left, and he left, and there's been some follow-up with that. But it wasn't, he, 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 he was not wrong, I don't think. I think he was right. I think he handled it correctly, but it was firm, and it was tough. It was really tough. But in the long term, that's the only way they're going to have a relationship, uh, a healthy one. So boundaries is, is great. We have it in our bookstore, and um, I'd recommend pick it up and, and read it. Again, it's good for any relationship kind of things, okay? Number four, communicate uh, your plan in one of the following ways to your mom and stand your ground unless regardless, uh, your ground regardless of how she responds, okay? And here are two ways you can do it. First, just through the, a new way of relating to your mom, okay? Some of these issues might be mild. They don't, they don't require a letter of, of, of setting a boundary. They don't require a counseling appointment. They don't require any of that kind of stuff. Depending on the intensity level or the lack of it, you might just say, you know, I'm going to change the way we do this. Um, I'm going to tell my mom that we're not going to come there for Christmas this year. We're going to stay home, and that's, that's a tradition that we've made. Okay? I set that boundary with my parents. It was a holiday one. It was a Christmas one. Um, and I said, I grew up always going to my grandparents' house. And so that was kind of the expectation. My brother was giving me all kinds of um, trouble about it. You know, we grew up, and we all got, got in the car, and we drove. And he's, he's not married and has never had kids, so he has no clue what life is about. But, and don't, that's no, nothing if you're not married. That was... That was that was, he's one of my issues, so don't, okay, don't, don't go there. And that's not actually one of the ones listed in here in the book, but I might add it because it would be a good one. Um, it would be like 24 weeks long just itself. Um, but I told him, basically, he, he called and, you know, gave me this all guilt manipulation thing. And I said, Jeff, you know what, I'm, what we're going to do as a family is we're going to stay home. Or we might go after Christmas. We might go before. But on Christmas Day, we're going to be in our home, and all of you can join us if you'd like to. So it was just a simple conversation. And um, he, I'm sure he did a wow-wow and did his deal, and that's okay. But 
I'm, I'm an authentic man, so it doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, so that's that. It doesn't have to be this this incredible thing. Um, you can just uh, uh, do those kind of those simple kind of things. If you find that she doesn't respond uh, in a good way and she begins to emotionally punish you or manipulate you in some other way, um, then it might require the second step, and this is the second step through a face-to-face meeting where you talk about the specific issues. And this is what I was talking about with that gentleman earlier. Okay, it's fairly dramatic, and you're going to feel like a little boy when you do it. But you've got to put down the little boy um, and have the big man stand up. You've got to say, this is the way it's going to be. And when those emotions and those appeals of love, remember Raymond's mom's face, that's what it was, that little face that, he, that they knew, um, that he referred to. And then what are you going to do to your mama? Those kind of feelings start, start to, to flow. You just have to stand firm. And again, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I became a man. I put childish ways behind me. Okay, um, you've got to say this is the way it's going to be, and I love you, and I really, uh, I really do. But this is the way it's going to be. God has called me to leave and cleave to my wife. God's also called me to leave and cleave to Him, and I'm moving forwards, Mom, not backwards. And that's what that counseling session was all about that we had um, with with that gentleman and and his mom, and he did a great job. It required a face-to-face meeting, and not just one, probably several. Okay, fifth, we're almost through the seventh. Use the men in your life to report back for clarity, encouragement, and accountability, okay? We, this is very helpful. You've got to do that. And some people call it just accountability, but it's more than just being accountable. I did the right things. But it's also to give you support and encouragement. It's very helpful, especially if mom chooses to do a battle with you, okay? That's why you need what, what's called men cheerleaders. And, and don't go cheerleaders, raw, raw. We all need to do herkies and build pyramids. That's not what we're talking about, okay? But we need to come around each other and, and encourage each other and say, you're doing the right thing. You, you're, you're a godly man. You're seeking the Lord, and you're praying. I'm praying with you, and you can do this, okay? And I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, I met with a man yesterday, and he's in his 70s. And um, he came to meet with me because he... Um, about a year and a half ago, no, more than that, three years ago, he had, he had an experience um, here at church with someone that, was, that ended up really negative and um, kind of a judgmental um, thing, and the way the person handled it was pretty hostile, and um, it really hurt this, this man's, basically it hurt him. So he told me about it, so I said, well, when are you going to, re- this was three years ago, I said, when are you going to reconcile with this, this guy and meet with him? He said, I'm not going to. So he's kind of forgotten it, he thought. And so he has a walking partner. He has a cheerleader. And uh, he, he, so he called and met with me yesterday. So he's 70-something. He said, I have this walking partner. And he said, we're talking, this came up, and he said, when are you, I've been praying for you. When are you going to reconcile about that? And he had read something in the Word, a passage out of Matthew that he's read many times um, about going to your brother if there's aught between you and make things right before you offer your, your sacrifice or, your, or take your offering. And so he, he was convicted. And so he came and he asked me if I would go with him to meet with this person. Okay, that's what being an authentic man is. That's the step that he's talking about. And so, and in, in, uh, go back for clarity, and encouragement. And I got to look at this man in his 70s and say, "I'm proud of you. You're doing a manly thing. This is a godly thing and a Christ-like thing you're doing. It's biblical. It says it, and you're having the courage to do it. And we all need to hear that. Doesn't matter how cool, how buff, how." cool or whatever the word is godly we think we are we need to hear those words from from other men okay so um incredible thing number six if you're married and listen closely guys tell your wife you've got an over-involved mom in your life okay you need to recognize that and you need to state that to your wife and say 
I know this is the issue because your wife knows it, and she might not want to tell you, okay? She might be too scared of you, or she might not want to bring it up because it's going to ruffle feathers or it's going to sound judgmental. But your wife knows if you have one. But I can't tell you what it will do to your wife if you will take responsibility for it and say, Honey, I know this is an issue, and I'm going to take steps to correct it. I mean, her love for you and her respect will soar. You'll be like, I don't know what. She'll, she'll just think you're cool. We'll leave it at that. So, um, but, but she'll be, she'll be re- relieved majorly. And um, it'll keep the pressure where it needs to be on the primary relationship, and the relationship is between you and your mom. It's not between your mom and her, okay? And she needs to understand that, and you've got to make that clear with your mom. Finally, the seventh thing, in some cases, your efforts to establish a healthy relationship with your mom result in a time of emotional punishment or even with your mom becoming angry at you. And my encouragement is to not let that derail you from what you're doing, okay? Give her time to adjust, and I promise you, she will adjust, okay? Um, this, this is not a, the, written by a man. It's written by Beth Moore. But this is a great book called Get Out of That Pit. It's her newest book. It's an excellent book. And she has a quotation I want to read to you just about that exact thing. It says, If you're the first one who escapes a family pileup, you'd think your fellow pit dwellers would be happy that at least you got out. You'd think your deliverance would give them hopes of their own, but for some reason that's often not the way it works. Usually when you get out of the pit, somebody in the family feels betrayed that you felt a change was necessary. They think it means you're saying something is wrong with the rest of them. Sometimes when a person decides to have a mind made up toward God and feet firmly set upon a rock... Loyalty to him is misinterpreted as loyal, disloyalty to the family. Actually, nothing has the potential for greater positive impact in a close-knit group of people than when one decides to break tradition and pursue another level of wholeness. I'm convinced that health can be even more contagious than infirmity. Until the breakthrough comes, however, and the Jesus virus catches, you better glue your feet to that rock. The pressure to resume your old rank can be titanic. Okay? It will cause ruffles. This, this guy that I told you I met with, with a counselor, his whole family thinks that he has become this fanatical Christian who's judgmental to his mom and nothing. She, she's done nothing but take care of him all her life, and she wants to see her grandchildren and all these things. And it's all bunk. It's all the dysfunction of their family because they're not seeing it. Again, he's getting all this family pressure of he's the wrong one, and he's taking the steps to do things right. But in time, they, they'll adjust. They will adjust. Um, I, uh, I, I, my issue, um, there, there's some issues in, in my family. I had to set a really, really strong boundary the last year. And, uh, and I had to sit down with some of my family members and say, this is a boundary that I'm sitting in. You've got to understand what God's doing in my life. And I thought it was going to be a real reaction mode, and it was, it was really incredible. Very, very supportive, very understanding. And God, over time, has allowed those things um, to, to be worked out in me and him to work them through me. And so that, that letter never had to actually be sent to the person, um, but it was written, and it took hours upon hours to script um, because I wanted to be so exact and be godly in what I was doing um, and precise. And I still have the letter, and hopefully I'm never going to have to use it because God has done a work in me um, that, that allows me to, to move beyond that. So it's really, really encouraging. Okay, let me, let me read a letter real quick, um, an example. 
and I'll read, actually, I'll just read the, the follow up from the mother. This, this guy has this relationship with his mom where she's totally involved, manipulated him for, for years. Um, he, she's used intimidation. She's dominant. Um, she uses a lot of guilt on him and that kind of stuff. So he writes this letter, and he says, Please recognize that as a grown man, I must follow the call to be a man no longer tied to his mother. I must follow the biblical man, command to leave my parents' home and cleave to my wife. And please understand... Please don't use emotional manipulation tools uh, on me in the future, for I'm planning to resist them from now on. Um, he talks about his wife. He says, I love you, and I await your reply. And it sounded really good if you'd read the whole thing, and I could have, but too, too long. But here's the mom's reply. Dear son, maybe there is no legal means for you to get rid of me as your mother or as your mother-in-law, but I can sure try to make it easier for you by free, to be free of me emotionally. I hereby grant you permission to forget I exist or ever was or ever will be a part of your life or the lives of your children. I realize that in this is, that is I realize that is the way it is anyway. But just in case you occasionally feel burdened with the fact that I actually do exist and you have put up with me, I want to remove that obstacle for you. I'll admit that I am not doing this just for you and the kids, as I truly I am truly weary of the hostility and rejection, as well as the shattered hopes and dreams I had for us. I've waited so long for us to be friends, the kind of friends that I believe we once were. It's not easy to say goodbye to such an important part of my life, but you have really left me no choice. With all the love I'll hold in my heart for you both, your ex-mom. P.S. I know how Jesus felt when he spoke in Matthew 23. Oh, how I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers a chick under her wings, but you are not willing. Okay? The whole tone of that is control and manipulation. If you hear that and go, that's a sweet mom. He did the wrong thing. Then we have a counseling center on the sixth floor, and I can give you a couple of names. Okay? I mean, some of you are, did anybody write that letter? I hope not in here. Oh, it's tough, but that's disgusting. Um, but he hung in there, and the word is that, that she came back. She got her son back. As, uh, got, he became a man, and she got him back as well as her son. And over time, the things adjusted. Okay? So remember, you, you continue to do that. The continual need today is for fathers to call their teenagers' sons away from dependency, um, from mom to manhood. And so, guys, as you're, if you have children and they grow to be teens, as Rick Wurtz was talking about earlier, this retreat they're doing, these are part of it. For a dad's involvement is incredibly, incredibly important, okay? And so the prayers I pray over my son are different um, than prayers that I would pray if I had a daughter. They're not bless them and make them sweet. They're God. Last night I prayed, Lord, Harrison, make him a warrior for Christ. He's, he's 10. Make him be a light for you. Lord, help him to be a strong husband and a strong dad. Help him to love you with all his heart. Those are the things that I pour into him and bless over him. Um, my, my son, Chambers is 12. It's time that he stops. My wife, she doesn't wake him up. I do. But he needs to start setting his own alarm and take responsibility for the things in his life, okay? He needs to call and set up his time to get his hair cut and those kind of things and let mom move out a little bit and start severing those, those cords. My wife is one of four girls, and she has three sons. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, but I don't think she'll have, have a problem with it. Um, but they, they need to start turning to the dad um, and not just to the, to the mom. And here's three points as we wrap up. First, this call away needs to be clear and direct. You need to say, son, come join me as a man, okay? Come join me as a man. And he says, I don't have a definition. Then we're going to, if you'll stick with this for the whole rest of the, the year, the next, what do we have, 16 weeks left, then you'll be able to have some more stuff for that. Secondly, this call uh, away needs to be embraced by the son, the dad, and the mom to be effective. So there's probably going to be have to be a discussion with mom about where she needs to back off and move during the teenage years. And then thirdly, there needs to uh, this call needs to employ a ceremony. 
or a series of ceremonies that are signposts or milestones um, to what's happening here. And uh, we're gonna, we'll give you some materials as we go through time again of, of what that looks like, okay? So let me close with, with two couple comments. Here's the first. The legs of masculinity on which a man stands, whether weak or strong, they're established at home. They're established at home, okay? And by the way, I encourage those men with good, strong, healthy legs because of the way your parents raised you and trained you. Would you give them thanks for that? Fixing to go to, the, to Thanksgiving in a week and a half. If you talk to your parents, thank them for what they did in your life that was good and the things that they did, okay? It's important to do that. Um, if you have shaky or hurting legs or maybe you feel like they're missing, um, then do this. You go out into the world, even with those legs, and you stand up and you be a man, and you're going to be empowered to do that and information and practical ways to do that, okay? Last thing is work on your manhood plan, okay? Important, important, important to do, okay? It's important to do the manhood plan. If you don't do it, there's no application. There's no action points when you finish. You've just come at 6 o'clock in the morning for 24 weeks and had a breakfast taco and met some guys, but your life wouldn't change, okay? Do, do the action plan, okay? How you impact this unfinished business will, to a large degree, determine the kind of man you're going to become. Let me read to you. Um, this, is, this is a follow-up to my, um, to my, whatever that's called that I just said, manhood plan, Okay? And I have my manhood plan, but this is a this is well, if I can find it. Thought I had it out. Here it is. This is an email that I sent to uh basically to my three cheerleader guys. Okay? And this was uh just sent back in August. So I had um God had done a great thing. And so it said over the past ten months, these are some things the Lord's revealed and worked in me and in using you guys as some of his greatest tools. One, I have what it takes to be a man. Number two, I am a good and a godly man. Number three, I understand true freedom. Number four, true intimacy that comes from true freedom. Number five, disclosure is good. Number six, experiencing love and grace from pages I never knew was possible. Number seven, how to take a risk. Number eight, safety. Number nine, confidence and trust in the Lord. Number ten, I learned how to embrace pain and suffering. Number eleven, seeing pain and suffering as God's grace to better understand himself. Number 12, vulnerability is scary, but it's worth it. Number 13, the power of shame. Number 14, nothing grows in the dark. Number 15, identify what is stirring in my heart, the ability to do that. And number 16, I have what it takes to be a a good friend. Um, I said, as I ended, I said, I'm sure there will be more, but that's the overflow right now. One thing I know, I'm a very blessed man. Um, uh, Let's see. It says, I'm very prayerful and very anxious about journeying alongside you guys as, as... we as godly strong men desire to live from the deep places, love God and our wives and our kids with everything we know, to know and be known, and to love and struggle well, all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Guys, the manhood plan, okay? God wants you to work it, not just even list it, but, but he wants it to use. And that's not a thing of this is, this is a great thing and this is who rah-rah for me. It's, it's just a testimony of God's incredible grace of what he can do um, with a, guy, a group of guys around you, his word and the Holy Spirit in your life if you'll let him and what he's calling you to, okay? Let me pray, and then you can break up around your tables and um, somebody talk to table eight, and um, and then we'll go from there, okay? Lord, thanks for today, and thank you for your goodness and your love. God, I thank you for all these guys, and I thank you for their hearts, Lord. They are good men, Lord, who love you, want to follow you, Lord. They wouldn't be here at 6 o'clock in the morning. 
Father, I pray, Lord, no matter where they are with information today, Lord, whether they go, that relates to me or, eh, that's not really my deal. I pray, God, that you give sensitivity to, uh, to, to determine that and then to move uh, appropriately through that, Lord. Bless them, God. Thank you for, for them, Lord. I thank you for Eric and his leadership. Thank you for the new uh, baby they have and the miracle of life, God. The miracle of healing with my mom, Lord, as these guys in this room have prayed for both those things this week. And I'm grateful for that as well, Lord. May we walk hand in hand and arm in arm locked, Lord, as men um, holding on to you and to our, our uh, wives if we're married, Lord, to our families and, uh, and to each other, God, as men. We love you in your name we pray. Amen.